Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Not So Simply Love Femme podcast. We're your hosts, Sam and Liv. And we are so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Dr. Steph is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in recovery, digestive health, and menopause. In this episode, we're going to focus on Steph's cancer recovery journey and her experience with infertility. Hey, Dr. Steph, and welcome to the Not So Simply Left Un podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So Steph, would you mind just elaborating a bit more on the areas of focus in your practice? Sure. Yeah. So I am working with women who are trying to conceive. So whatever stage in the journey that may be for them. So either they're looking at getting pregnant soon, or they want to think about getting pregnant, or maybe they've been trying for years and they're not sure why they're not getting pregnant. So that's one aspect of my practice. I also see people with gut issues, anything like IBS or IBD, which is the disease form. And finally, I see women who are interested in dealing with symptoms of menopause or they're approaching that time in their life and they want to work with some natural options or even hormone replacement. That's amazing. So Dr. Steph, I would love for you to share with our listeners, if you feel comfortable, a little bit more about your health journey, because you mentioned that you've also experienced some issues with both gut, fertility, and we'd love to hear more about that. In my, I guess, undergraduate, late undergraduate, early career in um, naturopathic medicine at school, I started having some symptoms where I was feeling bloated and uncomfortable and like bloating to the point where, you know, my pants weren't fitting by mid-afternoon. I have since followed a gluten-free diet and pretty much controlled my symptoms just with that alone. Um, So that was kind of my guts issues. And then when I was just out of school and about a couple years into practice, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And that was when I was 27. So I was still pretty young. And at that point in time, I closed my practice and focused solely on cancer treatment, which was chemo and radiation. So I did that for three to four months. And then did the process of recovering from that. And that subsequent to the treatment, I became infertile. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Steph. Does gut health, your like the health of your gut, have anything to do with your fertility? Definitely. Gut health has to do with everything. So how we process estrogen depends on how our bowels are working. If we're constipated, we're having too much estrogen in our system. It actually stays in our bowels and it gets recirculated. So we end up with more estrogen than we should. And the bowels and the the microbiota and everything in our gut is, is impacting how we're breaking down these hormones. And that has to be taken into account. It has to be a full picture as much as we we're talking about fertility in this conversation, this is a holistic conversation. This is not just, oh, your ovaries aren't working. Boo. <laughs> it's a, oh, your ovaries might be impacted. Let's look at the gut. Let's look at your mental health. The conversation with a naturopath is so long and encompassing because we, we understand that all these systems are connected and we can't just have 
one problem isolated somewhere in our body. Just because you have a toe pain doesn't mean that it's just your toe. And we need to look at a whole host of issues, including and especially your gut health. I love that holistic. You're, we're looking at this holistically, like it's a holistic conversation. It's so true because everything yeah, is whole health. related. Whole health. Whole health. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why it's a trendy word. Don't it's be dirty, true. Sam. I meant whole health with a W. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goes both ways. <laughs> Fits the conversation. <laughs> Okay, on a more serious note, um, Steph, we had a guest on our podcast previously who was in the midst of her chemotherapy treatment, and she was talking to us about how she had to make the choice of whether or not to freeze her eggs. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to know what your thought process or choice was in regards to that procedure. Yeah, I can totally relate to her thoughts and her questioning of this. Um, I think when you're in shock with such a traumatic diagnosis that is incredibly life-altering, you really don't want to have to add anything on top of that. But I am incredibly grateful to my doctors for suggesting this. And my oncologist suggested this right away. And, and thankfully, they were comfortable delaying my treatment to the point where I could go ahead and do a single uh, cycle, a single egg retrieval. And that in my case was very productive, thankfully, but, um, it, it's a lot to, to digest at one time. But I think if you're unsure in that moment, then the answer is do it because you can't go back and change your mind. The only option you get is to move forward. And I think at that time, you just have to do what will give you the most options in your future. So we were coming at, my husband and I'm saying we, my husband and I were coming at this knowing that we were going to have to use a surrogate because my uterus wasn't going to hold a full-term pregnancy after treatment. So surrogacy was our only option. If we wanted to use the embryos that we had created, surrogacy was all we had left to choose from. And we did look at adoption, but I think anyone who has a cancer history might know um, adoption can be complicated if you're not five years out from, from treatment. It's so incredible that we have these options. And that's one of the reasons why Sam and I really wanted to focus on fertility with you, Dr. Steph, and also um, this month in general, because there are so many things that we don't know, we can't predict, and yet we have these expectations for ourselves. And I think having the knowledge or hearing about other people's experiences just validates what we're going through, um, especially as 20-somethings, right? Like when you're at that stage in your life, when you're thinking about, do I want kids? Is this an option for me? Yeah, no, I'm. it's confusing. This is a specialized area of medicine that you only learn about if you have to go through this or if you're a clinician in this field. So would you mind speaking to why you think it's important for women in their mid to late 20s like us to consider what they can do to benefit their fertility, even if they're not thinking about getting pregnant right away? Yeah, sure. I think this is a missed demographic in medicine. We, you know, in, in women's 20s, we're, we're just looking at optimizing your menstrual cycle and getting you f to not have cramps every month, which sucks. But we're missing the education and the component that says 
you're allowed to figure out if you're fertile, even if you're not trying to get pregnant. And I think this is really important for women in their 20s to know so that when they get into the time where they do want to start having babies, if they do, and that's, of course, a whole other conversation. But once you get to that point, you can decide because you have the knowledge of what your body will do. And you're allowed to know if you're fertile in your 20s. And you don't need to test run that with conception. And what is like the most common way to test your fertility, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say easiest way to test this at home when you're not with a clinician, you're not working with a naturopath, you're just trying to figure things out on your own, is to see if your cycle's regular. Most of the time, if you have a regular 28-day cycle or somewhere around that, you're probably ovulating. And then if you're not having a cycle that's around the 28-day mark, then you want to start figuring out by checking your ovulation status. And you can do that in a bunch of different ways, but you can check your temperature every day at the same time and see if you have changes in your temperature around when you should ovulate. You can do that by checking your cervical mucus and that may you may be all of a sudden like, oh my God, too far, that's gross. And that's okay. You can always work with a practitioner to help you define some of these things. And of course, you can pee on little strips at home. And these are called LH strips, and they tell you when you've had an LH surge, which can help indicate when you're about to ovulate. So there are lots of different ways of testing this at home. You do not need a doctor to start figuring this stuff out. So Steph, on the topic of ovulation, are there some months that you won't ovulate? Because I find, now this may be too much information for our listeners, but I find that some months I have that like cervical mucus that you're talking about, but then some months I don't. So would that mean that I'm not ovulating that month or? Yeah, that's a great question. And we'd have to kind of dig in to see if you're having any other signs of ovulation, like temperature changes um, and cervical positioning. And definitely, if you're noticing that your symptoms are different month to month, you may not be ovulating every month. And sometimes that means one, one ovary is working totally functional and the other is maybe a little sluggish and it's not kicking out an egg every month and not giving you the same symptoms every month. And we can see that with a lot of different things and it's definitely common. And is not ovulating every month potentially a sign that there's a hormonal imbalance or is that semi-normal to not drop an egg every single month? Well, there's a difference between normal and common. It's common for women to not ovulate every month, but it's not necessarily normal. And you will definitely have changes in your hormones if that's happening. So when you're not ovulating, you're not getting the chance to have the progesterone spike and everything else that comes along with ovulation. And that will impact your hormones. So definitely, if you're not having the same reaction from each ovary, and we alternate ovulation on each ovary. So the left is one month, the right's the next. So if you're having different month to month, you can try and pick up patterns. So if you're saying, every other month I seem to have these symptoms, then maybe you're ovulating from only one ovary. And on those other months, you might be having trouble with the other ovary. And that's where we can kind of clue in and get some ideas on the patterns and say, what's going on? How can we test your hormones? We can do that through blood work. Or maybe we need to step it up and send you for cycle monitoring at a fertility clinic. And this does not mean you're going in for IVF. It just means you're going in to check your hormones and to have an ultrasound, which will tell us if your ovary has released an egg. 
So the coolest part about this stuff is that you can check in on the status of your hormones and whether your ovaries are in fact releasing an egg. And this is all covered by OHIP. Cycle monitoring is part of a fertility testing that you can access as a young woman without having to be ready to conceive. And again, we can also do so much testing in office. Obviously, we don't do as naturopaths, we don't run ultrasounds in office, but that's when we would refer you out. Okay, first of all, I am mind blown that you only ovulate from one ovary every month. I did not know that. Like I like I'm literally sitting here with my jaw on the floor right now. I'm embarrassed that we didn't know this. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it makes so much sense because some months, I swear, like, one side of my body, it hurts so much. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, I know I'm ovulating. And I'm always wondering, like, but why doesn't the other one hurt? And now it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many mysteries embedded in our bodies. And that's one of them. We alternate. Wow. I'm just, like, shook right now. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, At what point in their fertility journey should a woman consider IVF? Yeah. So IVF would be a leap for someone who is just starting the process of trying to conceive. I think what generally we say is that, you know, if if you're in your early thirties, you've been trying for six months a year, that's all still within the normal realm. I think you would only start considering IVF after you've been trying for a year and you're getting nowhere and you're really frustrated. And at that point, you want to talk to a clinician who focuses in fertility, whether that's your family doctor referring you to a fertility clinic or whether that's coming in to talk to someone like me and just getting a better glimpse of what's going on. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's almost like you want to talk over your symptoms with someone before you take that next step. Because like you mentioned, there's other ways of testing whether or not you're ovulating without maybe doing cycle monitoring. Like I, to be honest, again, TMI, but I just check to see if my discharge is kind of egg whitey. And then I know that I'm like probably Mm -hmm. ovulating. So (laughs) that's how I do it. But I mean, to each their own. Yeah, I mean... Lots of people experience ovulation differently. Some people feel a little bit almost like a almost like a period cramp in the middle of the month when they shouldn't be having a period and they don't get their period. They just kind of get this weird abdominal pain and that can be associated with with ovulation. Some women have skyrocketing libido around ovulation which, you know, from an evolutionary perspective makes total sense. Why not get excited when you're most likely to get pregnant? And we have lots of different symptoms and, and that sort of thin egg white, which is mucus that, that basically is discharge, what you would find in your underwear from the vagina, that tells us that your mucus around your cervix is thinning to allow sperm to enter into your uterus. So what basically your body is saying, I'm ready, I'm primed, and this is how I'm going to tell you. What are some of the things that could affect your likelihood to conceive? Yeah. So what we're looking at for someone who's trying to conceive and what can they do to optimize that? Well, there's definitely a bunch of things that they shouldn't do. And um, this applies to both male and female partner. If you're in a heterosexual relationship, we're looking at Reducing alcohol, reducing caffeine, reducing recreational drugs, all of these cause oxidative stress on both the sperm and the egg. And 
I think what we often, we don't want to think about when we're living our regular lives and conceptions down the road is that we're impacting not only ourselves, but also our children, your grandchildren, because the health of the egg will impact future generations. So anything we can do to make things better before conception is is something that's valuable to not only yourself, to your offspring and their offspring, which is kind of mind blowing. Who knew that when you said that you're supposed to like take care of your world, you're supposed to also consider it for like the health of your egg. Yeah. Not to not to layer on the uh, stress of how to treat your body when you're trying to conceive. Obviously, stress is one of the biggest factors that um, reduces fertility and makes it hard to conceive. And you brought up my question about stress. I hear this so often with couples that are trying to conceive, like my cousins or friends, and they just, they can't seem to. And it seems like it's all the stress in their life that's really affecting their ability. So how often do you see this like in practice? Oh man, I wish I could tell you. The reality is when you start trying and you have in your mind that, okay, well, we should probably be pregnant within one month then that immediately sets you up for thinking you're a failure after one month. And and nothing like feeling like a failure ups your stress. And then you kind of get into this cycle of, okay, well, well, let's definitely get it the next month. And if not that month, then the next month. And um, this applies to people trying to conceive naturally. And it definitely applies to people undergoing embryo transfers or IVF or even IUI, which is a basically putting sperm in the uterus at a specific time to try and match ovulation. All of these can be extremely stressful. And as women, we often interpret this stress as our our fault, even though up to 50% of, of people struggling to conceive is the male partner. So I think we need to take a step back and and hopefully not do this alone even though it's such an intimate process if you're having trouble the stress that cycles from that will not help and it's the right time to talk to someone i did not realize that men contributed that much to fertility issues or ch- or challenges with conception it's so true and i can't even imagine like i know something i've been seeing a lot lately and I never realized this when I was younger is being asked, so when are you having a baby or are you planning on having a kid? And that question's always directed at the woman. Like you don't often see that they're asking the male like, oh, are you having a kid soon? Are you planning to have one? Well, then the thought of infertility comes in and maybe they can't conceive or they're having a very difficult time. And it's just, it's sad. I mean, I'm sure it adds so much extra stress on top of how they're already feeling. Yeah, I think that's like a that's a whole societal commentary that would be great if we all could be a little more mindful of how we're impacting people with our questions. Honestly, though, I feel for all of us because we go through a lot in our lives. Not only do we go through the ups and downs of puberty, we have to go through the process of fertility and and asking these questions and having the conversations we're having now. And then on top of it all, we got to go through menopause and figure that all out. So I can definitely relate to that. And uh, 
and it's a lot to figure out. Yeah, it literally never ends. It's just one thing after another as a woman. And I feel like because we can attest to it, we're allowed to say that. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today, Steph. I'm so excited, like I said, to release this. And I know that our listeners are going to love all of the amazing information that you just gave us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And uh, I just hope that people feel they can educate themselves about their fertility before they need to start trying for a baby. Like let's get let's get after this from a health perspective rather than a disease perspective before you're down the rabbit hole. And I also just want to really quickly throw in there that I feel like Steph, this was one of the more um vulnerable podcasts that we've shared. Like we've had a guest Uh, come on, like we mentioned in the past and talk about her health journey. And I think that it's really important that we acknowledge that like, we know it's not easy to sometimes go back and talk about some of these experiences that we've had. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Oh, you're welcome. I just hope that in sharing some of this, somebody who's experiencing or going through the same thing can feel again, like they're not alone and that lots of people can go through these types of things and come out on the other side and, and have a happy, healthy life. Literally, cheers to that. We truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Show us some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To make sure that you never miss an episode, follow us on Instagram at Simply Left Femme.